Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. First thing is first. Good morning, Christ Community Church. Yeah, I knew you'd be in a good mood with this kind of weather, right? Oh, man. Um, we are going to jump in here in a second to Mark 13. So if you want to open your Bible, your Bible app or whatever, Mark 13 is where we will be going. Now, this morning, uh, we're going to talk about something that, that is a little strange for us. Because when we talk to other people, we usually like to think anyway that we say what we mean, we mean what we say, and whatever we're talking about, they understand exactly. And typically, if we're talking about something in the future, we tell them it's in the future. If it's in the past, we tell them it's in the past. If it's in the present, we tell them it's in the present. Jews didn't always do that in the ancient world. They, they had this thing that scholars have come to call the double meaning of prophecy. That means a prophet can say something, and it sounds like that he's talking about the then, the, the now, the, what, what they're facing. And he probably, in his mind, that's what he's doing. What he doesn't know is that the words God gave him not only address the present situation, but the future as well. And that's what we're going to be looking at uh, in, in Mark 13. And, and so we're going to be kind of unpacking. What we're doing this morning is kind of, it, it, I call this End Times 101, and we are going to talk about the end times, about Jesus' uh, return, and that kind of stuff. But we're also going to be talking about everything wrapped up in that. Life, death, heaven, hell, resurrection. How does that all fit together in Scripture? And this morning, there, there are some people in this congregation who, who I love, but like to give me a hard time. And, and so this morning, somebody thought it would be really funny if they told me, they said, you know, I was telling everybody that the thing is, when you get to heaven, Matt, you will have a bigger mansion than your father. And I said, why is that? He said, because you'll be the first and only lawyer to ever make it to heaven. Um, oh, you think that's funny too. That's nice. Um, <laughs> anyway, so what we're going to see, let me, let me give you an example of this double meaning of prophecy thing I'm talking about. Like, Hosea 11.1, 1. this is the words that God gave Hosea. He said, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt, I called my son. Okay, you read that, and it sounds like that what Hosea is talking about is simply that he loved the nation of Israel, and so because of that, he liberated them from slavery and took them out of Egypt. And that would be correct. What Hosea did not know was, what, and what Matthew and Matthew 2 tells us is, that was also talking about Jesus. Because if you remember the story about Jesus, when he was a little baby, what do they have to do? They have to run off to Egypt, you know, to, to get away from Herod. And then when it's safe, the angels basically say, come on back home, and they come on back home. That's that double meaning of prophecy. Are we tracking with that? Are we good? All right. So let's 
jump in. Mark 13, 1. Chris, throw it up there for us if you would. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. He's talking about the temple. Now, the temple, you have to understand, the first temple built by Solomon, and then Herod rebuilds the temple. The temple was the center of the capital city of Jerusalem. And so if you were Jewish, and you were living at that time, and you wanted to offer a sacrifice to God, that's where you went. If you wanted to worship on the big holidays, then that's where you went. You went to the temple. And Herod had made it really impressive, really impressive building. Spent a lot of money on it. But do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? And now when he says buildings, that's plural. He's not just pointing to the temple. He points to the temple, then he points all around the city of Jerusalem. Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Now, what he's referring to there is that within the next 30-odd years, the Jews would mount this massive rebellion against Rome. And at first, they managed to kick the Roman soldiers out of Israel. And it looked like they were doing good. And then Rome said, get some ships, send more soldiers, and go take care of this. And so they're all celebrating in Jerusalem. We're free, we're free. And then they look out, and there's thousands of Roman soldiers. And they went, oops. And Rome marches in and just flattens Jerusalem. Absolutely flattens it. One historian said, literally, the blood running through the streets of the city was ankle deep. Just decimated it. But he's also talking about the fact that when Jesus returns, it's very clear that once he sets up his kingdom here on earth, everything will change there too. Everything. The house where my wife and I live, probably gone. What Jesus will do with his rebuilding campaign, I don't know. But a lot of this stuff will simply be gone, including that one lane in New Boston, thank goodness. Um, verse 3. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming... I am he, I am the Messiah, in other words, I am the way to God, and will deceive many. Now, that happened then. There were many people popped up, said, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Messiah, and then they ran off to fight Rome, and then they got killed, and like, oop, that's not the Messiah. But then, that has been happening throughout history. People claiming they were the way to God. They knew a new way to God. Whether that's Islam, Mormonism, or whatever, even the, the Jim Jones cult, if you remember that thing. All that kind of stuff. This stuff continues. It was happening then, it happens now. Jesus is dressing both. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines, 
These are the beginnings of birth pains. You must be on guard. Now, before I go through that, let me ask you this. Sometimes I hear this. Whenever America goes to war, I hear somebody on Christian radio or somewhere saying, see, here's the wars and rumors of wars. This is the end. They've been saying that since the Revolutionary War. Because when Jesus says there'll be wars and rumors of wars, let me ask you, not just looking at America, but looking at the whole world, when in Amer world history has that ever, that's always been the case. There's always wars and rumors of wars. We are an ill-tempered, violent bunch as human beings. And we're always going to war. And I think the point that Jesus is making there is when he says to be on guard is, this can happen at any time. Any time. You must be on your guard. You'll be handed over to local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. Now, before I get to 10, let me ask this again. Okay, we know, for those of you who took my free seminary class, you remember what we talked about when we talked about the fate of the disciples, what happened to the disciples. The remaining 11 disciples, with the exception of John, all died young and tragically. All of them were in and out of prisons and jails and constantly being hauled before courts. If you don't think that's happening today, in China, in Islamic countries, it's happening. I, uh, in my former gig uh, working as an attorney for a nonprofit, part of my job was to go around the United States and do these little events and talk about stuff and hopefully try to recruit new attorneys and new pastors and raise money and all that kind of stuff. And so there was this couple that was sponsoring an event in Charlottesville, Virginia. It's about seven or eight years ago. And so I go to the event, I speak at the event, everything goes well. And afterwards, the couple hosting the event said, I want you to meet our special guests. They're staying with us, they're missionaries. And so they, they're walking up to meet me, and there's just this peaceful thing about them, and, and they've got these big smiles on their face, and they just look really happy. And I'm thinking, man, they must be missionaries to Hawaii. But then I walk up and I shake their hand. I said, so where are you missionaries? They said, Iran. I said, excuse me? Iran? They said, yeah. I said, I'm sorry, but how does that work? Because Christianity, of course, is, is outlawed in, in, in Iran. They said, well, we have to sneak across the border. Then we have to go to a, a house that we know is an underground church. And hopefully they've been evangelizing, and that person will be willing to go start a new church in their house. I said, you do this all underground? Yeah. And just as happy as could be. But they could be put to death, thrown in jail, tortured at any time. This continues. But the gospel must first be preached to all nations, which has not happened yet, by the way. If you look at some of the people like the World Book that studies this stuff, there are still areas of this world where Christianity has not taken root, believe it or not. Now, whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, 
Do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Remember that if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit, if you're truly a Christian, the Holy Spirit's there, man. It's within you. If you let it do its work, you don't need to worry about, you know, crafting some careful speech and all that kind of stuff. You don't need to worry about that. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. That is happening in Islamic countries. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Jesus expects absolutely nothing but loyalty unto death. And because he died for us, he deserves that loyalty. Go back one there, Chris, if you wouldn't. Everyone will hate you because of me. Now, that's important to remember. We live in such a time now that we are, as a society, as a whole, with all due respect, wimps. Right? My grandfather fought in World War II. He feared fascist domination of the earth. Today, we fear gluten. And it's like, you know, we, we get upset if somebody doesn't respond to our Facebook request. Or somebody unfollows us on Twitter. I'm like, really? We need, as a group, and everyone, myself included, likes to be liked. But, but the thing is, we, if we're going to be loyal to Jesus Christ, we've got to get over that. You know, you've heard me say you know, about my father, the one thing I really learned from my father as a minister, it is better to be respected than liked. Because you would be shocked at how many people who don't go to church or whatever call my dad when things go downhill, not because they like him and are buddy-buddy, but because they know they're not going to get any bull from him. And he's going to say what needs to be said and done. That's just the way it is. And Christians need more of that. Some of us believers need a spinal transplant, man. We just do. And you need to remember that when you're sharing the gospel, when you're doing anything for Jesus Christ, when you're being outspoken as a Christian and somebody gets upset, it's not because they don't like you. As Jesus said, it's because they hate him. Verse 14. When you see the abomination that causes desolation, that's Jewish shorthand because in the temple, what had happened when the Greeks controlled Israel, they tried to sacrifice a pig inside the temple. If you know anything about Jews, that's a no-no. They called that the desolation, the abomination of the desolation. Standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand, and those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back and get their cloak. How dreadful it would be in those days for pregnant women, women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter. Because those days of distress, unequaled from the beginning, when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short these days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. I'll explain that in a minute. 
At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, look, there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Stop there for a second. That happened then, and again, it happens today. There are people out there, we've talked about this, there are people out there who claim to have certain gifts, and then what do they do? They make money off of it. Right? There are ministries out there say, if you come to our revival, if you pay 50 bucks, 80 bucks, 100 bucks, come in, and, and if you've got an illness, get in line, and, and, and such and such will heal you. Jesus warned, stay away from them. Do you ever see the disciples or Jesus making a dime off of healing someone? So like I said, you claim to have the gift of healing, I'll believe you when you go to a children's hospital and do it for free. Then I'll buy it. Till then, I don't want to hear it. 23. So be on your guard. I've told you everything ahead of time. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. Now, here's what Jesus is doing there. You need to understand something. He may not literally be saying that's what's happening. The Jews had a special kind of literature and way of speaking that they called apocalyptic. What we call it apocalyptic. Here's the deal. If somebody's trying to get a point across to you and they know there's no way you can really fathom just by telling them the events then what they would do is they'd use this language, this poetic language that really kind of was like stretch things. and like It's like the sun going dark and the moon going dark and it being absolute darkness. He's saying it's that bad. It's that kind of feeling. It's, that's the kind of thing that you need to know is coming. It's like, you know, if you're trying to describe a great event that somebody didn't witness... Just telling them, rolling down the facts in the timeline doesn't do it. So, for example, if I describe to you a happy place for me, like when Kentucky won the national championship in 2012, I wouldn't say, well, Anthony Davis had this many blocks and this many rebounds. And I, I would say, it was epic. It was incredible. It's like Christmas morning. It's that kind of thing. It's that kind of language. And that's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is saying, okay, understand that what's coming in both the destruction of Jerusalem and at Judgment Day will feel like this. 25. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Now, there's two things going on there again. Yes, Jesus will return that way. A cloud was considered the chariot of God in, in, in Jewish belief. But also, he's saying that when the Romans come and destroy Jerusalem, you need to understand something. It's not just the Romans doing that. I'm sending them there as judgment upon you for rejecting me. He's letting the disciples know, no, this is not a random event. This is judgment from God. And he will send his angels, gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. 
Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. We talked about that two weeks ago. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. You see that he's not saying that somewhere, somewhere, you know, the disciples are still alive and they're waiting for his return. Here he's talking about the destruction of the temple that will happen in many of their lifetime. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Because you got this double meaning thing going on, and the real point of it is, he says, my elect, my people, those who have faith in me, they will not experience this that way. When, when Jesus returns, a lot of people are going to be terrified. The people faithful to God are going to be happier than they've ever been. The Christians did not stay in Jerusalem when they saw the Romans coming. They took Jesus' words to heart, and they got out of Dodge. They fled to the hills. And then, when the Romans wiped them out, guess who they blamed for their loss? The Christians. But the Christians did not fight in that. They said, Jesus said, you see this coming, get out. So they did. But two things are going on there. I know that this is tough stuff. This is not easy reading. I get that. But that's the reason why the Apostle Paul said every church should have a teacher, uh, somebody, a nerd like me, who's willing to study this stuff all week and hopefully explain it clearly to you so that you can have these things called lives. That's the point. And still understand the Word of God. How are we doing? We doing good? All right, all right, we're over halfway home. Don't worry, I'm not going to keep you late. Only one preacher here does that. All right? I'm not, I'm not naming any names, but... All right, Mark 13, 32 through 37. Now note this again, but about the day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Stop. Understand. Again. You hear somebody on TV, radio, blog post, whatever. This is it. This is the sign. Jesus is coming, and he's coming on this date or this date or this date. Are you telling me this guy knows more about the second coming than Jesus? And I've heard some good people, you know, make these predictions. And every time I do, I'm like, man, stop. Jesus says you don't know. If Jesus clearly says you don't know, you don't know. Because his whole point of what we just went through is it can happen at any time. There are always wars and rumors of wars. There's always famines. There's always sickness. There are always earthquakes somewhere. All this stuff is always happening. Always. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house, puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, Tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch. Because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. He's talking about himself. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. In other words, sitting around, doing nothing, continuously just doing what I want to do all the time, sitting on the couch, eating pizza, watching TV. 
you can't do that as a Christian. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Notice that. What I say to you, my disciples, I say to everyone, watch. Always be ready. Why did we play that song? You probably said the thing, why is Rod Stewart singing at a break of church? Because he's singing People Get Ready, which is about the second coming of Christ. It's a song that was actually made popular by Aretha Franklin. She used to sing it at her dad's church in Detroit. Ralph knows it, don't you, Ralph? Yeah, that's why. And we're going to play it again as we go out of here. Okay. Whew. So, let's wrap all this up. All right, I promise you this. Let's go. Life, death, heaven, hell, resurrection. How does that all fit together? Here's how it fits together. If you died... In the Old times, the Old Testament, up until the time of Christ's death, if you were faithful to God and you died, you did not go to heaven or hell. You went to what the Jews called Sheol, what the Greeks called Hades. Now, Hades was split into two areas. There was the place of comfort or paradise, and then there was the place of torment. Those are the two places. Don't believe me? Take a look at what Jesus says. Luke 16, 19. Jesus addresses this in his parable of Lazarus and the rich man. There's a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores. And longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table, even the dogs came and licked his sores. I know that's gross, and I know lunch is just around the corner. I'm sorry. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. That's another term they used for paradise. The rich man also died and was buried. Now notice what it says. What does it say? In Hades, where he was in torment... He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. We can stop there, Chris. So, do you see what Jesus is saying? In Hades, place of comfort, place of torment. Now, why don't they just go to heaven or hell? Here's why. Two reasons. One, you cannot get into heaven without the blood of Jesus Christ. You cannot. Cannot happen. Two, nobody goes to hell until judgment day. Jesus makes that clear. If you look at his different teachings on hell, he is the one who judges, and then he casts the unrighteous and Satan and his demons into hell. Now, too many people think hell is like a South Park episode, where Satan is walking around, and he's in charge of the place, and he's got his pitchfork and all that other kind of stuff. No, 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 no. 
Satan will be cast into hell with his demons at judgment day, and they don't want to go there. That's why when Jesus comes up, you've seen this in Mark, and there's a demon-possessed person, and, and, they, and the demon starts crying out to Jesus, it's not our time, it's not our time, please don't send us there. What do you think they're talking about? They're talking about hell. And so, you need to understand that. Now, today, things have changed. If you remember, when Jesus was crucified, he had a thief on his left and a thief on his right. And when he's first put on the cross, both of them are making fun of him. Three hours later, one of them has come to their senses and say, Please, wherever you're going, take me with you. And Jesus looks at him and says, doesn't say, today you'll be in heaven. He says, today you will be in paradise. That's the place of comfort, Abraham's side. So where did Jesus go when he died? He went to Hades. He went to paradise and spent his three days there. Why? The Bible basically implies that he went to visit the righteous who had died. Abraham, Moses, David, on and on, Isaiah, Elijah. He went to go see them and reveal himself as the Messiah, preach the gospel to them, and let them know that when he ascended to heaven, he was taking them with him. Are we following so far? So that means today paradise in Hades is gone, closed. So if you are a Christian and you die today, you go to heaven to be with Jesus Christ. Now, there are some people, very good people, fine folks, love them, who believe that what happens when you die is your soul remains there with the body until Jesus' return. Okay, there are a couple problems with that. Paul says in several instances, 2 Corinthians 5, Philippians 1, so forth, that if he died, he's going to be with Jesus. And Jesus ain't hanging around in the tomb. The other problem you've got is this. If you go to the book of Revelation, where are the martyrs who are crying, How long, O Lord? In the throne room of God. They're not in their tomb sleeping. They're in front of God going, how long, O Lord? Where are the elders of Israel and so forth? They're there in the throne room. We as Christians are the only people in the world that can claim that if we die, things get better. Guaranteed. We go to be with Jesus. But nobody went to be with God in heaven until Jesus Christ shed his blood. Because I don't care how good of a person you are. I don't care how nice and friendly you are. I don't care how many community events you do. I don't care about any of that. I will tell you this. If you are not saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, you do not go to heaven. It's that simple. Now, one objection I get to this. All right, Matt, you said nobody went to heaven before Jesus' death and resurrection. 
What about Elijah and Enoch? Okay, here's the problem. First of all, before we get into that, we got to look at the very words of Jesus. Chris, show him John 3, 13. Look at what Jesus has to say. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Okay, now, you can argue with Jesus if you want, but I think we've seen people who argue with Jesus, it, things do not go well for them. No one has gone to heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. So where did Elijah and Enoch go? You're reading through the Old Testament, it says Elijah got picked up by a chariot and taken up. Now, the Hebrew word that we translate as heaven actually has three different meanings. It can mean God's throne room, but given what Jesus said, that ain't it. It can mean the, among the stars, but I don't think Elijah wanted to be an astronaut. And three, it may mean just you were taken up in the air and taken somewhere else. And I think that's what happened to Elijah. If you know the story of Elijah, he's always complaining. He's doing great stuff, but he's always looking up at God going, Oh, how much longer do I have to put up with this? And so finally, I think what God did was say, Elijah, you've earned a vacation. I'm getting you out of here. Getting you away from all the evil kings trying to kill you, all that kind of stuff. You want to go have a vacation? Come on, it's Myrtle Beach time. Let's go. And takes him off. Enoch, the way it's worded in Hebrew, seems to imply that he was simply taken directly to paradise and didn't have to experience death. Does that make sense? Please, come on. Okay, good. Whew. I know it's a little warm out there. It's hotter up here. All right, no, no complaining. All right. So then, well, one last thing. When Jesus returns, now, this is when Christians start to divide about how this happens, what happens when he returns, how this goes about. Let me just say this. I'm going to give you my opinion. If you hold a different opinion, fine. Really not willing to, to debate over this. I'm not. And too many Christians divide over this. It's not worth dividing over. So I'm going to tell you how I think Jesus' return is going to go. And if I'm wrong on Judgment Day, you have my permission to look at me and go, no, 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 whatever you want to do. That's fine. At that point, won't care. I believe that Jesus' return will happen again when no one expects it. And it can happen at any time. And that when he returns, he takes those in heaven with him when he returns. He then judges the living and the dead. Why does it say he judges the living and the dead if the dead are already in hell? Because the dead are not in hell, they're in Hades. He judges everyone. After he pronounces judgment and some people go to hell, the rest of us, the faithful, do not go back up to heaven. We stay here. The new heavens and new earth. Jesus says, I will remake all things. We get physical, eternal bodies. 
The Apostle Paul says we will get bodies like Jesus' resurrected body. No sickness, no death, no need for weight loss. All that gone. I know that when Jesus banishes all evil from the earth, treadmills go bye-bye. Hate those things. I hate cardio more than I hate kale. Can't stand it. So this is what will happen. And then he will set this up. Then he takes the unfaithful and he casts them into hell, including Satan and his demons, forever banished. And then we spend eternity with Jesus. Now, two things on that. First one is this. This eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. I don't know exactly what it will be like. A number of scholars have speculated on it. If you read Randy Alcorn's book, Heaven, he basically says, if it's not sinful or dishonoring to God, it will be in the new earth. So, some of you, for reasons I cannot fathom, like to golf. There could be golf in the new earth. Watching it will still put me to sleep. There it, be animals, food, all this stuff will be there. In fact, as you've heard me say, what's the first thing Jesus does after judgment? Throws a party, throws a big banquet. And Isaiah says he serves wine and steak. You former Baptists and Nazarenes, just deal with the wine. If Jesus serves it, you drink it. Steak, if you're vegetarian, repent before judgment day. Because that's what's coming. And so you have this big banquet. And then after that, now understand this. Because here's what I thought. When I was a kid growing up in church, and I was a little rebellious uh, a pagan heathen growing up, I used to think that heaven sounded really boring. I mean, I'd heard the hymn, Amazing Grace. When we've been there 10,000 years and you're still singing, I'm like, oh, please. There's got to be something better than that. Well, amazing grace is not scripture. John Newton got that wrong. There will be worship and preaching and so forth in heaven. But understand something. You won't have to listen to me anymore. I'm out of a job because the only one anybody's going to want to listen to preach in the new heavens and new earth is Jesus Christ. I'm out of a gig. Now, there'll still be worship, which means Ralph will still have a job. And I already lobbied Ralph last night at our Saturday service to make sure that he made sure I had a job. I'll do his mic checks. I'll carry his, his bags, whatever he needs. But that's the way this works out. One last thing. I keep saying, notice something. I did this deliberately. When I say the faithful will go to heaven and then join Jesus Christ in the new earth, I did not say Christian. Because today, too often, a lot of people think they are Christians who the Bible says are not Christians. If you go read Matthew 25, 31 through 46, when he separates the sheep from the goats... 
Understand, he's not talking literally about sheep and goats. And God is not anti-goat. That's not the point. The sheep are the faithful. The goats are the unfaithful. And the funny thing is, when you read Matthew 25, 31 through 46 on Judgment Day, the goats go, whoa, 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 time, wait a minute. I'm, what did I do? And a lot of them will go, I'm, I'm a Christian. I went to church. I got baptized. I rarely cheated on my taxes. Come on. And Jesus looks at them and says, when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was thirsty, you didn't bring me anything to drink. When I was in prison, you didn't visit me. And they're like, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. Jesus, we, we, we feed you. We'll, we'll, we'll get you a drink. We'll get you a water. What are you talking about? He said, no, 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 no. What you didn't do for the least among you. Now, that term among you means fellow church members. You did not do for me. Now, is Jesus saying that what you have to do is you have to do so many good works on top of your faith to get into heaven? No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying this. If you truly have faith, you will want to do this anyway. If you've truly repented of sins, you will want to help your Christian brothers and sisters when they're hurting. You will just want to because you will love them like family. So, I mean, you guys know the biggest sin I struggle with, which is um, like the... uh, uh, movie Office Space, my dream of doing nothing. I just have a dream of doing nothing. But I can't do that if I truly love the people who are in this church. So we have two of our family members, and they are our family members, who are hurting right now. And there are others, but the ones I know I can talk about Daryl Lewis, you know, is struggling. Gary Harrison this week, unexpectedly, is struggling. And, and they seem to be getting the blood infection under control, but something's going on with his legs. He's getting like these electrical shocks. He's having a hard time sitting up and, and, and walking. And the simple fact is, nobody loves to give me a harder time as Gary Harrison does. Constantly. But I love the guy. And I want him healed, and I want him home. I want Daryl healed, and I want him here, home. We want them here because they're our family. You know, every week you walk in and somebody hands you one of these things, and if you open it up, there are prayer requests up there. These are your family members in pain, and it really doesn't, it costs nothing to pray for them every single day. I know that I've got to go visit them, dad's got to go visit them, you know, uh, Ralph always goes and visits them, and Ralph's the only one they like to see coming for some reason, but anyway, that, that, but, and you guys don't necessarily need to do that, a person doesn't need 20 people lined up outside of a hospital room, because I just wear them out, 
Maybe sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. But you ought to be praying for them. And you ought to want to pray for them. Because you ought to love them. Because they're your family. This church is, is family. You know, and one of the things we're getting ready to do again before I quit, Sean, wave your arms back there. Everybody knows Sean, but you see Sean back there. Sean will be kicking off God's pit crew again soon. God's pit crew is where we get, we get guys together, and if there's somebody in this church primarily that has a need, and, and, and we can do it, we can't do stuff that requires like permits and all that kind of stuff, but painting, you know, all that kind of stuff. We can, we can painting, power washing, stuff like that. We can do that. And so we have a group of men here who are willing to go and do that. And if we've got the funds, we'll pay for it and we'll get it done. And it's not because we're trying to, you know, do some kind of advertising in the community or any of that kind of stuff. We're doing it. Sean's doing it. You know, he's leading it. He and Kevin Stempert and Norm Campbell and those guys, they're doing it because they just love you guys. And if you want to make sure that on Judgment Day... You're a sheep, not a goat, and you're on that right side. The easiest way to test is, do you love everyone around you? That's the easiest test. I'm done. Man, oh man. I'm going to need a new shirt. Um... All right, let's pray and get out of here and go raid the restaurants and be nice to your waitresses, will you? Okay. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We as sinners deserve nothing. You as a God who loves us despite the fact that we are unlovable have given us freely your grace so that we can get everything. Heaven with you. The new earth with you. Everything. And what I ask for myself and for every person here is that they will show that if they truly love you, they will show love to each other. That at the very least, they'll be praying for those here sitting amongst us who are struggling. I pray that they are healed and here and worshiping. May we be able to just reach out and take care of each other in your name. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. God goes with you. See ya. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.